Welcome to the Mental Models Podcast. I'm George Baxter, and I'm a hedge fund manager for SaberPoint Capital Management. I'm Dan Krawczyk. I'm a neuroscientist and professor at the University of Texas at Dallas. And together we explore mental models. That is how we view the world and what the world gives us for feedback. It's not a brain in a jar. That's the gist. We're back. It is the Mental Models Podcast with George Baxter. And Dan Krawczyk. And today we're going to do something that's a little bit, mm, I'd say, different. We had a uh, listener write in and request that we talk about not just the issues associated with bias and how it can negatively affect our decision making, but how might bias actually be a positive thing? And I, th- I thought that was a insightful question and one that we could definitely explore. That's right. And when we talk about biases, we're really talking about tendencies or guidelines, or rules of thumb that we use. And we tend to have biases uh, toward getting through our day. You know, they're often things that just are efficiencies about our behavior. Based on what we've seen many times in the past, we've frequently focused on the negative implications of bias, and there are many of them. That tends to be where a lot of discussions about cognitive bias end up going, is pointing out all of the pitfalls and challenges It's worth a little walk down memory lane to talk about the history of this field. So many people are aware of Daniel Kahneman and Amos Tversky, two Israeli psychologists who were very involved in initially military operations for Israel in its early history and trying to figure out how to fit an individual to a particular job or specialization. And this is obviously very high stakes. And they were trying to figure out ways that one could optimize how to get the most effective talent set lined up to the particular needs of a problem. And that's where a lot of this research came from. They did a lot of their work in Israel together, and uh, they started down this road of investigating irrational behavior. So right out of the gate, the work kind of focused on the negative sides of our guidelines and tendencies, where they can steer us wrong, they actually got a lot of pushback from the research community at that time. It wasn't, people didn't appreciate the value of their contributions until sometime later. At the worst, people were criticizing them for simply making people look foolish which some of the research does have that feel if you think about some of the things that they were studying, such as anchoring biases and availability heuristics and the like. It's cases where we overemphasize some information and miss the forest for the trees, so to speak. Of Now, that kind of neglects an aspect of our cognition, which is we do become efficient and effective the more we do something. So there's basic practice effects We're building up biases there as well, but those certainly are not negative biases. They help us to mostly save time. Moving on toward the 1990s was a phase where a researcher named Gerd Gigerenzer from Germany had really kind of attacked Kahneman Tversky on this uh, idea that they were always pointing out the negative side of the heuristics and biases of features. Gigerenzer's claim was that heuristics or biases are fast and frugal, meaning we get our life quicker and we don't have to take all of the time and effort to analyze everything at length in a very deliberative manner. And uh, of course, that would be an advantage. Kahneman and Tversky were not terribly impressed with that approach, and they felt that Gigerenzer was mischaracterizing a lot of their work. 
And then over time, people became more and more appreciative of the challenges that biases have within our lives. I guess for being an investor, we've talked about a lot of the problems, but some of the advantages are there as well. Uh, One of the obvious ones is just knowing that biases exist in uh, most people most of the time, you can start to notice opportunities based on those tendencies. That's definitely true. So when we think about things like salience bias, we've talked about that a number of times where there is something that is in the headlines that is very vivid that is affecting people emotionally. And you can see then it's reflected in the stock price. So uh, an issue that has come up for a particular company or a set of companies that are all selling off in unison in response, the question to some degree is the timing associated with that. How long does it persist? How long do people stay concerned? Our basic analysis has been that it's very rarely any longer than six months. That's a very long time. Usually it's somewhere in the neighborhood of a quarter or a month to a quarter where you'll see these issues come under pressure, but then it can create a very nice opportunity, particularly when it's a high quality company that is under the heavy scrutiny of the market, of the public. So that can be an instance where you can see bias in others and then use that bias to find opportunity. Another thing that I've found I'll often be experiencing bias in some of the analysis that I'm doing of a particular company. And I ask myself whether others are having that same issue. If somebody else who is a reasonably intelligent person is looking at this particular issue right now under the circumstances that I see, the present circumstances I see, are they thinking the same thing? Often in the short term, investing is all about taking advantage of either undiscounted information or information that is overly discounted. And uh, that creates an imbalance between the actual fundamental picture for a company, the perceived fundamental picture of the company. Bias distorts those views. And when that occurs to an extreme enough level, we can take advantage of it and we can profit by either identifying the existence of bias in others or by adjusting our own view to compensate for the bias that we're experiencing. This comes into play with how you listen to a company or gather news on a company or in politics as well. This is very common. So a few things that knowing about biases offer us is that uh, it's all about how we persuade others. When news coverage comes up, it's always going to be Uh, playing upon that salience bias, very emotionally evocative language is going to be used, dramatic comparisons are going to be used a lot of the time. And so being aware that that's all filtered through this bias, these persuasion-based techniques, such as salience bias and uh, using fear-inducing language, that helps you to realize that the outlook may not be as bad as it's being described as. It's also helpful when uh, you're listening to management sorts of arguments that a CEO is always going to try to advocate for the company in as positive a way. If ever there's someone who's going to be suffering from optimism bias, it has to be the CEO because they've got to really be the most strong advocate for, for that company. Understanding those principles of persuasion help you. I think it can also help with political developments because so many times politicians will use 
sound bites, overly emotional analogies, overly evocative examples, just because that's what it takes to move the needle and rise above the noise and get signal. Think about that as well. When you're listening to other people, their biases are often pretty predictable. That's also true for uh, management teams. If you see a management team capitalize on something that is very anecdotal and try to use that as justification for the prospects of their business, sometimes that can be exhibition of a bias on their part that uh, you can capitalize on because you can see that it is not statistically accurate. I saw a business uh, recently where I was listening to a management team talk about their business and comparing it to something that was completely different and saying that, you know, therefore, that that was an analogy to something that they were experiencing. Sometimes you can take advantage of situations where a management team is exhibiting their own bias uh, in the course of them talking about risks that their business is facing or opportunities that they may have. There was an insurance company that I listened to recently that had a conference call and they were highlighting the fact that their analytics were better than their competitors and that eventually their competitors would likely develop their own analytics that were comparable to theirs. But they said, if, they had, if our competitors were to, to do that, it would be kind of like me going out and putting on the same shoes that LeBron James has, and therefore I would be able to play basketball as well as LeBron James, suggesting that they were the LeBron James of the underwriting business. That seems very far-fetched to me, because the reality is, is that, you know, they're taking advantage of the salience of this story, this, this you know, very powerful image of LeBron James and his tennis shoes, uh, and drawing a kind of a straw man, creating a straw man argument, where it's more like if Napoleon had a machine gun, and then, you, you know, his, his troops had that benefit of that technology, and then Wellington was also given the same benefit of the technology. It would seem that they would be pretty competitive and comparable. It's not quite sneakers. That's kind of how I would I saw the analytics product, but you could see there that flaw in the argument, which actually highlights the risk associated with uh, the problem that they were trying to discount, which was comp- competition eventually achieving the same level of analytics that they currently have. Another area that I I think of with the advantages of biases are in usability or user interfaces. Uh, It's also known as ergonomics. In the field of psychology, this was originated around the World War II era. Um, At the time, psychological research subscribed to this school called behaviorism. And behaviorism kind of looked at the mind as a learning engine kind of like how we think of a machine learning algorithm nowadays, where you didn't have any preconceived biases or tendencies. The reality, of course, is the human brain does have some clear tendencies that are based on the fact that we operate with two hands, how our visual system is set up. A lot of brain-based features lead us toward biases. A researcher named Donald Broadbent was trying to reduce flight uh, accidents with uh, airplane cockpits during that time period and was realizing that a lot of pilot errors were consistent. In other words, the pilots exhibited some bias toward looking at a particular gauge in a particular way, and they would make the same kind of accidental wrong move. 
And in order to uh, improve that, rather than thinking every possible configuration could be learned equally, Broadbent was trying to find what are those tendencies and design the uh, user interface of the cockpit gauges in a way that reduced errors. That, of course, is one of the um, very strong uh, drivers of innovation in the tech industry. Steve Jobs is quite famous for integrating the first mouse and um, graphical uh, computing interface in the Mac. But before that was the case, that was actually invented at uh, Research Park for Xerox. They actually had these sort of early innovations. The difference was that they didn't really see the potential for it, and Jobs did, so Apple was able to integrate those components. And now, of course, they're ubiquitous, and we've all developed tremendous clicking bias based on uh, that technology. So matching the interface, whatever it might be, if it's a, a dashboard in a car or a uh, certainly a computer terminal interface with um, our biases and tendencies, turns out to be a rather brilliant move, and it saves us a lot of time and helps us get through our workflow. Yeah, it seems like uh, there was a lot of copying that was going on back then because I know that uh, a lot of Mac users would complain that Windows was just copying the interface of the Mac. And then, of course, you know, Steve Jobs had actually stolen the whole GUI interface from... So Yes, great artists steal is one of yeah, uh, the famous say. Jobs quotes. <laughs> Um, and it's all about seeing that application. So, so those ideas were out there for Xerox to, uh, you know, exploit, and they could have really had a much bigger influence in the uh, computer industry. But just the individuals involved at the time simply didn't see the uh, what they had. Well, the reality is is that life is complicated, and we don't have time to deliberate over absolutely every experience that we have. We need to be able to have shortcuts. We need to be able to rely on uh, the knowledge of others. We need to be able to uh, make quick decisions without having the burden of questioning everything for bias. And so bias is somewhat, it's just necessary for us to be able to get through the day. The problem is, is that it can step in and distort important decisions that we make uh, that do benefit from a greater degree of discernment, like investing decisions. And this is where, when Daniel Kahneman has talked about thinking fast and slow, the intuitive um, fast mode of our uh, speed of response and, and level of analysis versus the deliberative slower mode, um, biases often are coming about because we're moving too quickly. And this is where um, the uh, sort of user interface or usability aspects can hinder someone. If, if the workflow is too quick and too easy, um, you'll tend to uh, take shortcuts and then that can lead to problems when you need to do more deliberative kind of analysis. So one of the things we advocate for is the use of checklists. Checklists slow you down. They're kind of... Um, Somewhat awkward to go through, but you really need to, to take that time and make that effort because doing it in a systematic way forces you to be systematic about how you go about your work. Um, I think reading about companies or reading in general uh, has this property also. I'm one of those people that likes to print things out and have the physical paper when I'm really proofreading something and even force myself to read it aloud slowly. Because so often, especially in the proofreading phase of, of any sort of writing, 
or if you're reading something you're familiar with, you'll tend to inadvertently close gaps and read words that aren't there and make inferences on the fly that are just a little too quick and a little bit too, too, uh, they're too easy. And that's where biases can hurt us. Um, but it's important to keep in mind the value of that is that we, we get so much more done. That's right. So it's just efficiency is probably the main benefit. But then again, if you can take the bias that you witness that's being suffered by others, you can often find advantage where that bias distorts price significantly beyond the true operational effect of the issue that's being addressed. And when you have some important decision to make or a, a quite important work to do, try to be aware of your own biases that uh, y- y- you may want to put in place some speed bumps, things that'll still let you get things done, like checklists or like printing off pages or having a, a clear plan or process that you're not going to deviate from. And uh, that can be beneficial um, to get you through the avoiding those blind spots. Okay, so on this episode, we've talked about uh, the the upside of biases, namely their efficiency, uh, the speed they offer us, and the fact that they allow us to move intuitively through our day. Uh, we tend not to think about those upsides as often as the downsides because it's very jarring when we get tripped up by bias. So uh, like many things in life, it's a continuum Uh, You kind of have to pick the right tool for the moment. Uh, For those important instances, it's quite important to uh, be more deliberative, put some speed bumps in your path. For those less important issues, um, or if you're making too many decisions and experiencing fatigue, go ahead and uh, optimize your, your speed and efficiency by capitalizing on your biases. Well, I think we've capitalized on this one. So we thank you very much for listening. If you're interested in these topics, be sure to visit the show notes at mentalmodelspodcast.com where you can find more links to the basic brain physiology as well as some of the topics we've talked about today. Uh, Just another reminder, uh, we have a forthcoming book entitled Understanding Behavioral Biases, A Guide to Improving Financial Decision-Making, which is all about some of these biases that can undermine your performance and the uh, basis for those within our brains and how it impacts our lives. We'll talk to you later. Thank you for spending your time listening to the Mental Models Podcast. Content matters because your brain does not exist in a jar. Please subscribe. Visit mentalmodelspodcast.com for updates on Dan and George's upcoming book release titled Understanding Behavioral Bias, A Guide to Improving Financial Decision Making. Also available on mentalmodelspodcast.com are show notes, book reviews, and upcoming behavioral finance seminars with Dan and George. The Mental Models Podcast can be found on SoundCloud, iTunes, iHeartRadio, and Twitter. Please subscribe, and thank you for listening.